0: Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. We need to have a long overdue conversation about the real salt of the earth. No, not the folks who you see Hollywood presenting to you or in country music videos. I'm talking about the true people of the soil. This is going to make you mad when you hear about it, but if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Joe Biden's been in office for going on two and a half years now. He promised billions of dollars in relief for black farmers. He even made a promise that he would use money from the COVID relief fund to help these black farmers who have been the most neglected farmers in the world. But all it took was a couple of conservative racists who no doubt work for these agricultural consortiums to file a lawsuit. And Biden immediately backtracked on his promise and said that the money would go to farmers in general, regardless of color. And please don't kid yourself that this wasn't Biden's plan from the jump. Everyone knows that when you make pledges to do something for black people, there will inevitably be some anti-black racist who comes out to try to challenge it in court. And by the way, as we see in recent years, a large number of these anti-black racists are not white. And rather than fight these nuisance suits, Biden instead used that as his excuse to do what he wanted to do for the beginning, which was to walk away and say, well, there's just nothing I can do. Now, we all know that when it comes to government support for farmers, it's not based on need at all, but based on race. Black people are allegedly 13% of the population, but we're only 1.3% of America's farmers. A hundred years ago, that number was 14%. What that means is that one out of every black farmers in the U.S. was black a century ago. And we're not talking about a couple of postage stamp size sharecropper plots either. A hundred years ago, black families owned nearly 20 million acres of farmland. And that was the largest amount of black farmland that we would ever have. By the end of the 20th century, anti-black racist policies took 90% of that land away from us. According to the white media, they estimate that the loss of wealth and income to the black families could amount to at least $326 billion. But that's an estimate from the white media, so you know the real number has to be at least 20 times that much. But I point this out because you always have some anti-black racists like that Varaswamy creep who was on CNN the other day saying that black people unquestionably have equal rights in America and nobody's depriving us of anything and that black people are not being targeted at all. We had more land 100 years ago than we have today. And we lost 90% of it in the last 100 years. And that decline hasn't stopped. It's still ongoing. And that's not a failure of Black people to acquire or hold on to land. It's exactly the opposite. This is a deliberate, intentional policy from the government and private business working together to disenfranchise us specifically. The government, along with collusion from agribusiness and vicious anti-Black racist farmers, has whittled the number of Black farmers down to nearly nothing. Even so, for the US government, that's still too many. In 2020, the Trump administration committed 26 billion to assist farmers, but only about one-tenth of 1% went to black farmers. In 2020, the Department of Agriculture gave loans to 71% of white applicants who wanted them. So if you were a white farmer who wanted government money, there was a greater than seven out of 10 chance of getting it. On the other hand, if you were a black farmer, There was only about a one in three chance that you would get the money and keep in mind the amounts of money for white applicants versus black applicants was radically different and the Biden administration has continued this practice Joe Biden claimed to have put a provision in his 2021 relief package that would have been earmarked for black farmers at least that's what he said publicly. But he only did that to get some quickie headlines. After all, he had just taken office, so he wanted to appear like he was actually doing something for black people. But he knew that as soon as the press conference was over and that the cameras were gone, nobody would really be taking note of whether or not he actually kept his promise. Tragically, a lot of black farmers did listen to Biden. They bought into the lies that he told, along with his black DNC puppets, like the ones you see on TV and these online puppet accounts, many of whom aren't even black people, by the way. Now, I don't blame the black farmers for listening because of the fact that they're desperate. These people have been under siege for over 100 years. They're trying to save their family farms so many of them who made the mistake of believing Biden's lies that he wanted to help them. They actually went into debt trying to make those investments into their farms because they were anticipating that Biden would keep his word. But then on cue, the white right inevitably and predictably filed some nuisance lawsuits claiming that this constituted racial discrimination or whatever. And as for Biden, He didn't even try to maintain the earmarked money. Instead, he immediately repealed the money last year as part of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. And you don't see Democrats saying a word about it either, do you? None of them saying, hey, Biden promised money to black farmers. We're going to come through for you. Just hang in there. We're trying to work on it. Nope. Out of sight, out of mind. He ain't talking about it. Now, I want you to remember that. That was one of the provisions that the Democrats put into the Inflation Reduction Act. So when you hear Biden or Elizabeth Warren or Korean Stank Pierre or the congressional black talkers or anybody in the white media talking about how great the inflation reduction act was and how it did all these great things for America, just remember one of the great things that it did was to take all the money that black farmers were supposed to get and say, well, now you're not going to get it. Whenever somebody mentions the inflation reduction act, you make sure you tell them part of what they reduced was the money the black farmers were supposed to get. They didn't just reduce it, they eliminated it. Biden wasn't worried about how much he had promised to black farmers because he knew that the conservatives would predictably attack it in court. And for all we know, Biden and the Democrats probably coordinated with them behind the scenes to carry out this legal smokescreen. Keep in mind that both Democrats and Republicans had no problem passing a gay marriage law at the federal level in record time last year. And they did this immediately after the contentious 2022 midterms, which lets you know that they have been putting their heads together to get that done for months before it actually came to a vote in Congress. They never seem to have any problems passing laws and getting bipartisan support for everyone except us. And has Biden even admitted to his failure to come through on his promise for black farmers? Of course not, because he didn't fail at all. What happened was all part of the plan. And yet online, you're going to be seeing Democratic shills, many of them foreign born, by the way, who will get on the Internet and claim that Biden did this for black people and he did that for black people. These are DNC sock puppet shills. These people sound just like Moron DeSantis whenever he talks about his asinine legislation. Almost all of it's been struck down by the courts. And the same thing goes for Biden's so-called policies for black people. Most of that stuff never actually happened. Oh, there was lots of attention given to his proposals. But then, of course, inevitably, they were either greatly reduced or just eliminated altogether. Next time some DNC plant calls themselves telling you what Biden allegedly did for Black people, you make sure to remind them of this. Now, I find that when talking about anti-Black racist policies, that it helps to give case studies so that people can understand how these policies work in practice. So here's a couple for you. John Wesley Boyd Jr. is a farmer in West Virginia. He has over 1,500 acres of land that his family has tilled since slavery. they faced all manner of racism for decades. A loan officer once spat tobacco juice on Mr. Boyd. The loan officer claimed that he accidentally missed the spit can. Another time, Boyd saw an official tear up his loan application and throw it in the trash. But of course, the anti-Black racism wasn't just limited to the financial institutions. When Mr. Boyd tried to sell his crops, he faced blatant racism there, too. John Boyd tried to sell a load of soybeans, and he was offered a pitifully low price for it on the grounds that there was moisture in the load, or that there was trash, or some other flimsy excuse. And then his wife was sent to sell a load from the exact same field, and she was offered a better price. But his wife's stepfather, who was a white man, took a load of soybeans from that same field to sell, and predictably, he was told that they were the best beans that the buyer had ever seen, and was asked, could he bring more of them? So what it comes down to is, when black farmers show up, especially black men, they're told, oh, this ain't good enough altogether. This is a deliberate policy of disenfranchising black people in general, but they seem to have a particular anger and a particular antipathy toward black men. It's a matter of, we got to make sure the black man in particular is targeted, that he's not going to be producing anything. This is meant to undermine his authority and his ability to be the leader in his community. But it was the U.S. Department of Agriculture where Mr. Boyd would face his fiercest discrimination. In 1996, the USDA tried to take Mr. Boyd's family farm. Now, typically, the government, especially the federal government, takes months, if not years, to do anything because of bureaucracy. And yet, in the case of Mr. Boyd, it only took the USDA 30 days to foreclose on his land. And the USDA moved to immediately auction off the remaining 110 acres. They were trying to liquidate his estate as quickly as possible. The same United States government who is infamous for taking years, if not decades, to move on things like environmental issues, especially in Flint, And yet the USDA moved faster than a commercial bank to take a black farmer's land. In fact, there are direct ties between the USDA and local racists who actually carry out these foreclosures. John Boyd joined a group of other black farmers in the late 90s who led a protest in D.C. over how they were being treated. The then agricultural secretary declared a farm foreclosure moratorium. That gave Mr. Boyd the time to save his family farm. But internal documents from the USDA's own internal review confirmed the routine racism that black farmers like Mr. Boyd face. Even though the USDA's state director explicitly instructed that Mr. Boyd's operating loan request be processed, the requests still were not processed for years. They just sat on those loan requests for years doing nothing with them. Keep in mind, this was the exact same USDA that only needed 30 days to foreclose on Mr. Boyd's farm. And then after that, Mr. Boyd's account was improperly referred to a credit bureau as delinquent. That meant they set it out for collections when it was supposed to have been restructured. This put even harder financial difficulties on Mr. Boyd and his family. Isn't it amazing how that keeps working out? Just mistake after mistake, allegedly. The USDA state agency director says that this man's paperwork needs to be processed where well, they just sit on it for years. Not days, not weeks, not months, but years they sit on it. Oh, this man's account, it's supposed to be restructured so that we can get this guy back on the right track and make sure they keep his farm. Instead, no, let's go ahead and send it out for collections. Let's go ahead and take it from them. Now, when you see this stuff happening over and over and over again, but only to farmers who are black, and you see them just giving lie after lie. Oh, well, we said to process your paperwork, but they didn't do it for years. And, and well, your your account was supposed to be restructured, but instead they sent it out as delinquent. Uh, when that stuff happens over and over again, that means you're being lied to. And they just want to see whether or not you're going to continue to play along with it or if you're going to finally call them on. And unlike white farmers, when black farmers fall behind on a payment, the USDA immediately accelerates prosecution of the loan. What that means is they tell the black farmers, you only got 30 days to pay the loan in full. No negotiations. That's what they do to black farmers. You fall behind on a payment, they say, well, now the entire loan is due. They don't do that with white farmers. And if you can't pay, which none of them can because unlike white farmers, black farmers are denied the money they need to operate their farms profitably. The USDA then demands that the black farmers enter into a so-called program that the USDA claims will allow the farmers to buy back their land after their financial situation improves. But of course, that never happens because the USDA has so-called local county committees who are given first dibs on the black farmers' land as soon as it's confiscated. Predictably, these USDA county committees are comprised entirely of white farmers. And as John Boyd recounts, one of the white farmers who was on the USDA county committee where he lives took 46 acres of Mr. Boyd's tobacco farm back in 1996. So you got the guys who are on these committees, who are the ones orchestrating these foreclosures, and then taking the land for themselves. Another case is that of Theodore Bates. His family bought a homestead in 1970 with a commercial loan. The USDA's Farm Loan Agency refused to so much as give the Bates an application to fill out. Mr. Bates said that he later learned the reason they didn't want to give him an application was because they didn't want it to be documented that they discriminated against a black applicant. So they opted to lie and just not give Bates an application form at all. The 1980s brought tough weather to the heartland, which is where the Bates Farm was located. There was a drought one year, a late freeze another, and then a hailstorm to wipe out the Bates Farm's wheat crop. Now, while white farmers were being given loans and subsidies and all the governmental aid they needed, black farmers like the Bates got nothing. As a result, the lender who held the deed on the family farm was able to foreclose on them. I say able to foreclose on them because that was part of the plan. In 2012, Elvin D. Kyswetter, the former president of the credit association who foreclosed on the Bates farm, gave a sworn affidavit in which he admitted there had been a plan to get the Bates, quote, out of farming. Kaiswetter himself testified that the board of the credit association decided they would rather foreclose on the Bates property, even if that meant the bank took a loss, rather than take the Bates family money, regardless of if it was paid on the notes. That was the former president of the bank who said that, in a sworn affidavit. This wasn't back in the 1920s or 30s. This was just nine years ago. He testified that the board of the bank that he was the president of was intentionally targeting a black farmer to take his land from him. That they didn't want the money, they just wanted him out of the farming business. This wasn't about cash, this was about race. You remember that when some idiot tells you, oh man, it's not about black and white, it's about green, no. It's about black and white. The bank who had been targeting the Bates family took their machinery, then their land. The Bates family could only watch as the sheriff cut the locks to the Bates family's grain stores. And then they endured hour after excruciating hours, trucks hauled away the grain that their family had grown and harvested. The family was financially ruined. They had to go on food stamps afterwards. When Mr. Bates' father found out that the farm had been taken from them, he died the following Sunday. Theodore Bates himself died back in January of 2022, while Biden was still stringing black farmers along with lies about how he was going to try to help them. The Bates family were out of the farming business all right, because they were targeted and their lives ruined by racists in the USDA, the banks, and local farmers. Now, that account that I just related to you happened back in 1986. This is what's been done to black farmers. And it wasn't just in the last few years, or even in the 1990s, or even the 80s, it's been going on since the end of chattel slavery. How is it that black people coming out of chattel slavery were able to acquire tens of millions of acres of land, and then over the course of several decades, all of it was taken, all of it wound up being given to banks, or to otherwise, to white interests? The loss of black land didn't happen here or there, it happened across the board, like a flood. These were deliberate confiscatory policies based on race. It wasn't some unfortunate happenstance, and it wasn't the result of mismanagement of the farm. It was the result of deliberate, intentional governmental policy at the county, state, and federal levels. The loss of all that black land wasn't some unintended consequence of the bureaucracy. It was the entire point of the bureaucracy, working exactly the way it was designed. You got crooks in charge because that's how the U.S. government set up. The USDA is a criminal racket. Operating is nothing more than a land appropriation committee for racist white supremacists. These are racially predatory practices being carried out by the U.S. government. And it doesn't take much imagination to figure out that these so-called conservative groups who file these lawsuits to block the aid to black farmers are without doubt the same racists who use their position to steal the black farmer's land. Unless you're doing subsistence farming, it is impossible to run a large-scale farm operation without outside funding due to the size of the land and the demands of doing factory farming. White farmers get all the help they want, and nobody challenges that help. Nobody says, whoa, they're getting way more help than they're supposed to be getting based on proportion. Nobody sits there and says this is racially discriminatory. Nobody does that. And also, you don't see the USDA rushing to shut down white farms at lightning speed. The Biden administration doesn't do that. Who in the government is suing based on these lopsided outcomes? Nobody. By the way, you remember how John Boyd and those black farmers protested in 1996? Who was the president then? Yeah, Bill Clinton. And of course it wasn't just him. What did Obama do for black farmers? Nothing. He was too busy supporting everybody else. Anti-Black racism, this anything but benign neglect, is a bipartisan issue. Both political parties carry it out. Black farmers could not have been systematically shut out like they have been without both political parties actively and intentionally working together to push a policy of racial exclusion. And you can tell because of how utterly consistent that policy has been the absolute continuity of policy that crosses bipartisan lines and goes across Republican and Democratic administrations. Now, there's a lot of Negroes, you see, who say, we don't need money, we need land. Why, the money, that dollar, can be devalued tomorrow. My question to them is this. When you see white people demanding compensation, how many of them say that they don't want money? None of them does. They say they want money because they can use that to get whatever they need. Now, for the people who don't like to listen very closely, I'm not saying that land is a bad thing, but I need some of the people who have become attached to that talking point to stop being so emotionally wedded to something you heard a long time ago and just can't let go of. Is land important? Of course it is. Though you're wrong if you see land as the foundation of reparations. Land can be part of an overall reparations package, sure, but the foundation is money. Because as we saw with Bruce's Beach, even if you do get land, and even if that land is in an economically desirous location, unless you have the ability to develop that land and make it generate income for you, it won't be your land for very long. Land only becomes wealth when there's significant human activity occurring on top of it. Otherwise, it's just a patch of dirt. That's the reason why in Dr. King's now famous statement about we're coming to get our check, he gave a brief rundown of just a few of the things the U.S. government did to give white peasants from Europe land. But then, as Dr. King explained, the government went way beyond that by giving these newly invented white landowners an education in farming, and then gave them governmental money to mechanize and subsidize their farms. Land alone is not enough. Those black farmers are not saying that they don't have land. They're saying that they're being deprived of the means to make their farms productive. Means that white farmers get automatically and that these black farmers are shut out of. And then they have these white supremacists threatening their lives. A number of black farmers have had their lives threatened by their so-called neighbors. And where is the FBI while all this is going on? Well, they're doing the same thing that the USDA did when it was sitting on its hands, not giving black farmers any assistance. They only move when they see an opportunity to deprive a black person of their life or their land. (coughs) Now, this is what's being done to black farmers right now. And all of you who told us to vote for Biden because he was going to do something, I hope you'll stop hiding and take credit for this. It's as much your fault as his. Biden's racist calculation is clear. He thinks that since only about 1.3% of black Americans are farmers, then the lies he's told will only alienate him from about 1.3% of black voters. Apparently, he thinks that's the only percentage of black people who his lies will matter to. He thinks that since black farmers as a group don't have much numbers, they can't make him pay for the lies he's told, so it doesn't matter. He'll never have to pay a political price. And he would be right if we only focused on the farmer part, But we are the black grassroots. We're focused on the black part. This is just another and an endless string of broken promises from that wrinkled up racist. And he has the nerve to think he's going to get black support next year. It is our job to make sure that all the thefts and destroyed dreams and ruined lives of black people are remembered. When Biden gets his re-election underway, and we see the same old bootlicks trotted out to tell us the same old lies, we have to make sure to remind people of the truth. Now, to be sure, you're probably not going to give me any opportunities to confront Biden. They're already keeping this guy pretty much under lock and key. That's because Biden's brain, such as it is, is basically the consistency of warm jello at this point. So don't expect them to let him do any talking, certainly not to us. In fact, I wouldn't even bet on Kareem Stank-Pierre giving you sort of statements on it. They're going to want to stay as far away from something like this as possible. They might trot out Barack Obama to make an appearance, but he'll be simply doing the same old splaining. Nobody else gives a damn about the injustices that we've had inflicted on us. So it's up to us to care. This is why we're owed reparations. Not just because of the loss of income and the stress and the indignation that's been visited on the Boyd and Bates families, but because of all of the wealth that they were deprived of for generations and generations, they have not been treated as citizens. And this is the federal government that did it to them. We're not talking about 500 years ago or 150 years ago. We're talking about the last couple of decades. Things like black farmers being deprived of the funding that they're entitled to, having their land stolen from them, mass incarceration, redlining. These are not things that stopped happening in the 1950s or what have you. These are not things from a bygone era. This is stuff going on right now, all the way up to the present. And this is all just part of the million and one reasons why we're owed reparations. For all of you out there who obsess over land as reparations, this is a subject you ought to be leading the charge on. You ought to make sure you repeat it every chance you get, especially over the course of the next 18 months. When Election Day comes next year, we're going to put Biden and the Republicans on notice that Black people have not forgotten what they've done. And we are determined to make sure they reap what they've sown. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Divine Lady, Sherman Marshall, Wesley Monroe, Tamara Chandler, and Enduro Emblem. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Family, I don't know if this might be clickbait, but it says nuke warning. Nukes are in the air. America. Warns that Russia will see what's going on, about 17
1: minutes. Now, folks. The chairman of the committee of the chiefs of staff of the United States Army and the armed forces have warned that, quote, NATO and the United States of America do not want war with Russia. But the possibility of, escal- of an escalation there is very real. They say the risk of escalation of the armed conflict between NATO and Russia is real. This, according to sources that are familiar with this war. The U.S. knows that Ukraine is preparing at this moment in time an offensive that it plans to let launch in the coming weeks. Analysts are pouring over information delivered to outlets from the U.S. Secretaries of State, Anthony Blinken. Now, look at what happened in the last couple of days in, uh, in Russia. We have had multiple attacks. In Crimea, multiple attacks that are reported to be from Ukraine in Russian territory on Moscow. But we have people out there in the open source intelligence uh, realm saying that this was nothing more than a false flag that Russia is going to use to quite possibly use nuclear weapons or some sort of larger weapon type in Ukraine. We have seen in the last 24 hours that Russia has out in the open said that now after this reported drone attack, which we did see footage of, in Moscow. The only course of action left for Russia is to take out Zelensky personally and all of the Ukrainian administration. The United States of America and U.S. allies that are backing Ukraine right now will have nothing of that. And we have seen a warning come out in the last 10 to 12 hours stating that if Russia does use any sort of nuclear weapon type inside of Ukraine, they have the weapon sniffers and the ability to know when and where it came from, and that NATO and its allied uh, countries would then take action against Russia. This is a quote. We know that the Ukrainians are, are planning a counteroffensive in the coming weeks. We will see what happens next. Success on the battlefield is the best and perhaps the fastest way to negotiations that will bring a just and sustainable peace, that according to the U.S. Secretary of State. Here in the United States of America, we have a warning that other states are about to follow suit. It's a warning coming to uh, to the U.S. from analysts who say that after New York State sits at this moment prepared to pass a landmark law, one that's going to ban the use of natural gas in almost 100% of newly constructed buildings. Other states in the USA will follow closely behind. The legislation is expected to be the first of its kind in the USA, and what it's going to do is prohibit combustion of fossil fuels in gas stoves, things like furnaces, and propane heating systems. They say with this legislation, which was incorporated into New York State's building budget deal following extensive negotiations between the governor and state legislators, it is set to take effect starting immediately, but it will be fully implemented within the next three years. And for almost every new home and every building that sits under seven stories in height, they will no longer by law be able to use anything like their own wood stove. They won't be able to use a natural gas stove. They will be 100% reliant and dependent upon the state and state-governed electrical outlets. The statewide initiative builds on the efforts of New York City. It passed similar legislation back in 2021 that prohibited natural gas hookups in new buildings that started at the end of 2022. What they have done here is basically slowly encroach upon your rights and What they're doing is making it so that one law just comes right on the heels of the other one and no one notices that it's a new set of legislation. Other states such as California and Washington state are utilizing building codes to promote what they call electrification. New York will become the first state to legislate the transition to what they say is a zero emissions home and zero emissions buildings. Now, right away, we have opponents to this legislation, politicians, and uh, opponents in the private sector saying that this is a complete enslavement of the people. They say you're basically forcing the people to move away from what their gen- what their families have done for generations, that is to go out and find their own wood for their wood stoves, to go out and make their own money and store up natural gas, and instead you're putting them on a month-by-month slavery system that 100% relies on the government. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, New York is the sixth largest consumer of natural gas among the states in 2020. Natural gas accounts for 46% of New York's electrical generation. The residential sector, where three out of every five households rely on natural gas for heating, are going to be hit the worst. They're accounting for one third of natural gas delivered to New York state in 2021. Now, Alex Buchamp, he's the Northwest Region Director of Food and Water Watch. He has commended the state's efforts as a move toward a complete victorian or dictatorship. He states that New York State is leading the way in ending America's devastation, its devastating addiction to fossil fuels. The rest of the country, according to these people, need to catch up. The USA is completely falling apart, and we can see what's happening in the economy. Economists say that a much-predicted U.S. recession still has not happened or been realized to its fullest, thanks to consumers, as according to Market Watch and other outlets. What they really mean is that rather than people slowing down on their purchasing at 30%, 50% inflation in some cases for services or goods, they are putting all of their inflated purchase price consumption to credit card debt. This is creating one of the hardest yet-to-hit or yet-to-be-felt bubbles that will ever pop in American history. I want you to look at what happens when you let a communist or dictatorship-style government take over. Central Asian migrant workers right now are being forced to uh, work for Russian companies. They're digging trenches in occupied mm-hmm. parts of Ukraine. They're complaining that they are not being paid, or at least in one case, according to lawsuits that are taking place, they're not even being allowed back into Russia after crossing into Ukrainian borders. The Sistema Investigative Project reports that a Moscow-based, or a series of them, construction companies are recruiting migrant workers from Tajikistan, they're using them to dig trenches to build dugouts and to basically get ready for a large offensive in regions of Ukraine starting this started back in January of this year. The workers were reported to be paid a collective sum of eleven thousand dollars at the January exchange rate that was in order to dig a, a kilometer long trench along with dugouts. It was 15 kilometers from the front line, so the workers weren't in fear of being attacked, but it's also reported that they will continue or had continued to live in abandoned houses near the front line region. The company's co-owner allegedly shortchanged all the workers, paying them only a collective 600,000 rubles. The workers stopped digging because they couldn't afford to keep going, and then they couldn't afford to go home. Those who couldn't stay in the occupied region They stayed there uh, as long as they could, awaiting payment. We're seeing legal reference to workers submitting complaints inside of Moscow with their foreman. That's a man named Narulo. He claims that, quote, there are no police there, only the military. They do whatever they want. They shoot, they blow up, they bury them. They are accountable only to themselves. Now, let this act as a reminder to you that this is the exact same style uh, style of government-led recruiting that will take place in an American offensive, whether it's a civil war, whether it's a division of the states, whether you have actual warfare taking place on America, or you even have a long-term disaster. Look at what happened in Katrina when they sent in their recruits, uh, you know, that weren't with the army. And in doing so, they violated human rights. They uh, took away people's firearms, took away their de- ability to defend themselves. There are countless accounts of uh, people being harmed, people being abused in those regions because BlackRock came in and they uh, you know, took away a, a person's ability to uh, defend themselves. Now, human rights activists in Moscow are trying to get Azamat home with assistance. That's one of the individuals. Hundreds or possibly even thousands of Central Asian migrants are thought to be working for the Russians in these occupied regions. And it's just a telling of the times that when countries go to war, they do not care. Of black Blackwater, excuse me, I said Black Rock, but that's the current iteration of uh, you know, the uh people who are controlling the things. The old one was Blackwater, the uh, mercenaries. Economists in the technology sector are warning that there is a 50% decline in software development job postings. This was compared with only a year ago. That's according to one outlet indeed. Artificial intelligence is already making a different world. Now here's a scary thought. The age of damnation has already arrived. What we are doing right now is we are watching the implementation of a world changing form of human-less technology that is having profound economic reverberations take place before our eyes. Just in the last 7 to 10 days, ChatGPT was valued in at $30 billion, roughly the equivalent of 1 million lower-income jobs. Both Vice News and BuzzFeed News were shutting down, citing the impact that current AI has on spoken or typed word media. Vice has filed for bankruptcy. IBM, they halted all of their hiring for 10,000 jobs that the company feels really? that current iterations of artificial intelligence are capable mm-hmm. of replacing. Mm-hmm. AI mm-hmm. is creating songs such as one that was mimicking a multi-million dollar rapper. It got higher up on the charts than he did before it was shut down. Dropbox laid off 20% of their staff saying that quote, "The era of AI has arrived. Multiple frontline AI creators that basically put us into this position, creating the iterations that we know today, (coughs) things like Midjourney or ChatGPT. They're warning about what happens next and what's going to come to the American and global economy. I just hope that you and your family are doing your best to get ready for massive amounts of job loss, unemployment foreclosures, which we're already starting to see kick up, uh, repossessions of vehicles. What's happening here is they have let everybody who shouldn't be able to go out and buy a home, who shouldn't be able to go out and get a new vehicle, have one. They've let people rack up tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. And when this bubble pops, the entire world that you knew is going to fall apart. You see, back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, not during the Great Depression, of course, but during the good old times that some enjoyed, 50s, 60s, even in the 70s, early 70s, people had a job. They had a skill. They had a trade. And so when a mortgager would come out and they'd say, yes, we'll give you that mortgage with the understanding that you could pay it back at extremely exorbitant career, even over the next 30 years, what they did was understand that the person, the mortgagee, could flip, they could get from their job, they could quit, they could make a career change, and the likelihood of them being able to pick up that same amount of money at another position was valid. In today's economy, that's absolutely not valid. And what we have done is allowed corruption to run through the capitalist marketplace. And instead, they will just chew you up, spit you out, and then take on the next person who's willing to do what you did for less, all in the hopes that soon they will be able to fire you completely and put artificial intelligence of some form into your position. The world's largest steelmaker, uh, the uh, one that they're based in China, they have signed a deal with Saudi Arabia to set up steel plants as the further uh, war against the United States continues to materialize in the economic realm. U.S. political figures are condemning European moves to transfer weapons over to Ukraine with one warning that Britain has confirmed the delivery of depleted uranium munitions over to Ukraine. And here are the words from one such political or politicized figure, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He claims that these types of ammunition should be banned. They partially vaporize on impact, he says, poisoning the environment with uranium dust, a dust that causes cancer and what he considers horrific birth, uh, birth defects. But In war, does anybody care? No. And that's the dawn of the age that we are entering. One of violence, unrest, riots and protests. One uh, an age where your economy can crumble overnight. Banks are absolutely failing at massive, massive rates. And everybody goes on like it isn't 2007 happening all over again. When it finally hits home for you, that's when you'll be glad you are prepared. So do everything that you can in the preparedness (coughs) realm right now. Get your pantry stocked up because food is important. Get your water situation under control. Make sure you have local sources that you can go and get water if your tap runs off, if your well runs dry. I've talked to people recently about how easy it is to uh, destroy a person's ability to get water from their well, especially if you have a well deeper than 100 feet because you need that power, you need that pump. And anybody with a uh, a little bit of hunting experience can take out your whole family, your whole farm, your whole group's ability to get water from your well with just one well-placed shop. And so I hope that you are preparing for these things. If you do have a well, I hope that you're putting block and dirt around the uh, well head and around the uh, air bladder tank. I hope that you're just getting ready. You have to do everything that you can, because if you don't, then, Some laws of our existence say that that's the one thing that will fail the uh, soonest. Let me know in the comment box, what you're doing to get ready and how other people who are just starting today, today is someone's wake up day. It's the day where they say, you know what, I I realized it was bad, but I didn't know it was this bad. And they start thinking about what they can do and they're going to be a little bit behind the curve. They're going to to start going to the dollar 25 store, because inflation's at least 25%. They're going to need to be going to pantries in some cases, talking with uh, religious organizations, trying to get ideas on canon. They're going to need physical faith in themselves. They're going to need their own faith in humanity, and they're going to need faith in something beyond. Let me know in the comments how you think people can start getting ready today. Maybe give them a little boost. Let them know that it's not too late to get started. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. This week's full spectrum news is brought to us by each one of you all of our members on Patreon. Make sure that you check out contingencymedical.com if you want real antibiotics sent to a real pharmacy by real doctors. You'll get a discount code there, FSS10. And so that you don't have to go to the pet store and use pet antibiotics, even if they might be the same thing. If your child has pneumonia, you might want to give them a name brand or at least a pharmacy-delivered antibiotic. Also check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS. That's long-term food that they work hard to keep these nutrients inside of. They have meals that are ready to eat, they have whole packages, they have multi-day plans. See if it's right for you. And if it is, use the code FSS15 for a 15% discount there. I get no commission. The code is just help you guys get a little money off. I hope that you're staying safe and you know enjoying the time that you have when other people around the world are undergoing war. Missiles flying overhead. They're running to their bunkers they have air raid sirens. They have economies that are in complete shambles in the ashes around them of the world that once was. We don't have that today. We have a time to get ready. Stay safe, everyone.